Okay, so we are now entering a very famous section of Exodus. The Ten Plagues of Egypt. Uh, now, I've gone back and forth on how exactly to preach the plagues. Uh, I thought about taking them one or two at a time. Uh, but the, the more I read about this, the more, the more it seems that scholars believe the first nine plagues, at least, should all be grouped together. Okay, um, And so that presents me with a, with a problem. Uh, I don't really want to read you five chapters of Exodus. We'd, yeah, amen. Amen. So... Uh, <laughs> The huge section of the book. So uh, I don't want to do that. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read the first plague. We'll read the first plague together. And then we'll read the last plague, the ninth plague together. And then I'll summarize the other ones. So what you'll have is homework this week. You'll have homework. You go home and you can read uh, the other seven plagues. Okay. So <laughs> it's just five big, big chapters. We can't cover them all at once. But it does seem like scholars believe that they should all be grouped together. So uh, I think this is probably the best way to do it. So we'll read the first one and the last one together. So uh, what we'll read is Exodus chapter 7, and we'll look at verses 14 through 24. That's the first plague. And then uh, the ninth plague is in chapter 10, verses 21 through 29. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there now. If you don't, it's no big deal. The verses will be behind me on the screen. So we'll start with the first one. This is Exodus chapter 7, and we'll begin with verse 14. Exodus 7, 14 through 24. Verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river. Confront him on the bank of the Nile and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, let my people go, so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. By this you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile, and it will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die, and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and all the reservoirs, and they will turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in vessels of wood and stone. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the water of the Nile. And all the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died. And the river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. But the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their secret arts. And Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Instead, he turned and went to, into his palace and did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they could not drink the water of the river. Now we turn to Exodus 10. We'll start with verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky, 
so that darkness spreads over Egypt. Darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or move about for three days. Yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. When Pharaoh summoned Moses, then Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, Go, worship the Lord. Even your women and children may go with you. Only leave your flocks and herds behind. But Moses said, You must allow us to have sacrifices and burn offerings to present to the Lord our God. Our livestock, too, must go with us. Not a hoof is to be left behind. We have to use some of them in worshiping the Lord our God. And until we get there, we will not know what we are to use to worship the Lord. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he was not willing to let them go. Pharaoh said to Moses, Get out of my sight. Make sure you do not appear before me again. The day you see my face, you will die. Just as you say, Moses replied, I will never appear before you again. This is God's word. Okay, so these very famous and very controversial chapters beg the question, why the plagues? Like, why? Why would God use plagues to free the Israelites? There are two very common answers to that question. Two very common. And they're both wrong. Okay? <laughs> they're both wrong. So the first common answer is, well, God is a God who smites sinners. You know? He destroys the bad people. That's why the plagues. The second very common answer is, yep, yep. That's exactly why I left institutional religion. The Old Testament God is a tyrannical God of judgment and wrath. And that's why I left. Both answers are superficial at best. At best, they're superficial. The text actually gives us the real answers as to why Yahweh brings the plagues upon Egypt. The plagues show us three very important truths. Number one, if you have an outline. Number one, the plagues show us that Yahweh is the one God. The one and only God. How so? Well, back in chapter 5, Pharaoh asks Moses a question. He says, who is the Lord? that I should listen to him and obey him. Who is the Lord that I should listen to him and obey him? And when Pharaoh asks this question to Moses, he's not asking as an atheist, okay? He's asking as a religious pluralist. There were virtually no atheists at all in the world at this time. Almost everyone was a religious pluralist, which means everyone believed in a multitude of gods, okay? A multitude. So Pharaoh is, is essentially saying to Moses, hey, I've got gods already. Why are you coming to me with yours? Like, who cares? I've got my gods, you've got yours. Let's just let bygones be bygones here, bud. Like, our Egyptian gods work just fine. Like, why should I listen to yours? Who cares? I've got mine, you've got yours. Let's just, 
let that be. So he's asking as a religious pluralist, okay? And you know what? Pharaoh would feel right at home in modern America. Right at home. <laughs> He'd feel right at home in modern America. Um, religious pluralism is growing rapidly in this country. If it's not the most popular view at the moment, it's awfully close to being the most popular view, spiritual view in the country. Um, and so the view essentially says this. The view says that there are many, many, many conceptions of God in spiritual reality. Okay? Lots of them. And no one should say that their conception of God and spiritual reality is superior to anyone else's. You see? You've got your gods, I've got mine, and let's just let bygones be bygones. You got yours, I got mine. Let's not try to convert each other. You know, let's just be at peace. I'll let you have yours. You let me have mine. That's the predominant view in America. And this is a very common objection to Christianity. Very common objection. Pluralists say that it's far too exclusive. Okay? It's far too arrogant. Uh, you shouldn't say that Jesus is the only way to God. Okay? You can say that he's a way to God. Fine, fine. But don't tell us he's the only way. That's arrogant and it's intolerant and it's exclusive. Don't tell us he's the only way. All views of God are equally valid. Muslims are as equally valid as Christians are. And so you can't say that yours is superior. It's arrogant and intolerant. But here's the only problem with that view. The only problem with religious pluralism is that it does the very thing it is accusing Christians of. It does the very thing it's accusing Christians of. It is an exclusive spiritual truth claim, you see. Exclusive spiritual truth claims, as it turns out, are unavoidable. <laughs> that includes atheism and agnosticism. They're unavoidable. Everyone's making exclusive truth claims. But I would say that modern religious pluralism is the most arrogant, the most exclusive of them all. Oh, the irony. <laughs> it's the most arrogant of them all. You see, um, the only way that you can say that all spiritual roads lead to the top of God's mountain, the only way you can say that is if you can see the whole mountain. You see what you're claiming? You're claiming that only you can see all of spiritual reality. You have more knowledge than the Muslims. You have more knowledge than the Christians. You have more knowledge than the Jehovah Witnesses. You have full spiritual knowledge. It's astonishingly arrogant to say that. Astonishingly arrogant. In fact, it's the most arrogant claim. It's religious pluralism, that all roads lead to God. The only way you can say that is if you have full knowledge of all the roads. I hate to break it to you, but you don't. You don't. Uh, and so the plagues of Egypt show us that this view is not only arrogant, it's just dead wrong. It's just dead wrong. You see, the plagues are very carefully chosen by Yahweh. These are not just random natural disasters, okay? It's not like Yahweh is sitting up there thinking, hmm, how can I really torture them here? 
Hmm. I know, I'll send them flies. That's not what's happening, okay? Uh, every plague of Egypt corresponds to an Egyptian deity. You see? Every plague corresponds to an Egyptian deity. For example, the first plague was against the Nile River, right? We just read that. Well, Egyptians didn't just drink from the Nile. They didn't just bathe in the Nile. They worshipped the Nile. The Nile was a god to the Egyptians. And so Yahweh, through the first plague, proves that the Nile, in fact, is no god at all. It is no god. It is powerless to fight back against Yahweh. Uh, Side note that I think is pretty funny here. I don't know what this adds to the sermon. I just think it's funny. Uh, So did you notice the magicians came along? Uh, You know, Pharaoh kind of panicked a little bit. He's like, hey, guys, you know, let's let's show show him what we can do. And so, you know, they had this devastating plague, right? It turns the whole Nile into blood. It ruins the water. I mean, this is devastating. And, and what do the magicians come around and do? They make it worse. They make more ruined water. <laughs> That's hilarious to me. Like, you would think if they were going to try to one-up Yahweh and show their real power, let's show them our power, our God's power. you think they would solve the problem, right? you think they would turn the dirty water back into clean water. That's not what they do. <laughs> they come and make the clean water dirty. Okay, that's hilarious to me. Maybe that means nothing to you. I just think it's funny. Uh, I feel like it cracked Yahweh up. I just feel like he thought that was hilarious. <laughs> they didn't solve anything. They made it worse. So funny. Uh, but that, that typically is... Uh, all that the enemy can do is just make things worse. Can't solve anything. Uh, okay, so uh, some more examples. The sun and the moon were also Egyptian gods. So they, they worshipped the sun, they worshipped the moon. And so what does Yahweh do? He smites them. He shows, uh, you know, he, he brings the darkness. He shows that in fact, no, no. The sun and the moon gods are not providing you with light. I provide you with light. I am the God of lights, not the sun and the moon. See, so, so this is what Yahweh's doing. Do you see? You, these aren't random events. These are very, very specifically tied to Egyptian deities. Uh, and, so, and, and Yahweh explicitly states this to Pharaoh in chapter 9. He says this to Pharaoh. He says, let my people go, or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you, so that you may know there is no one like me. There is no one like me. So the first thing Yahweh is doing in the plagues is he's striking down religious pluralism. That's just pure nonsense. Okay? There aren't many gods. There is but one God. The great I am. Now, there's more I want to say here that's very important, but I'm going to wait to the end. So let's put a pin in this point of religious pluralism. We'll come back to it. Okay? But that's point number one. Yahweh is the one God. Point number two in your outline uh, that the plagues show us is that sin has spiritual and natural consequences so it has both spiritual and natural consequences all right Uh, so let's see how so uh, one thing people have noticed about the plagues for centuries is how natural they are right they're all natural plagues Uh, what scholars have noted uh, and skeptics alike they've all noted how unmiraculous they are they're mostly unmiraculous right 
Uh, and so let's, let's, let me show you what I mean here. So with the first plague, the Nile becomes undrinkable, right? God ruins the water. And then the, the plagues that immediately follow that just kind of come naturally. Uh, they come consequentially from that first plague, all right? Uh, so let's think about it together. So the Nile becomes undrinkable, okay? It, it's ruined. God turns the whole thing to blood. And so it destroys the ecosystem of the Nile, just completely destroys it. And so what do all the little frogs have to do? They have to leave. <laughs> I can't stay in the water, right? Because the, the water's ruined. So what you have is zillions and zillions of frogs exiting the Nile because it's now turned to blood. And where do the frogs go? Everywhere. <laughs> they just go everywhere. You have a zillion frogs. You have frogs everywhere. You have frogs in cups. You have frogs in bowls. You have frogs in pillows and in beds and in ovens. You have frogs everywhere. Okay. And then what happens? Well, the frogs have lost their source of life in the Nile. So what happens to them? They die, right? So now you have zillions of rotting frog corpus, corpses, okay? Corpses, hard word to say. So you have zillions of dead frogs, okay? Now, what do you think happens as a result of zillions of dead frogs? Yeah, <laughs> zillions of flies and zillions of gnats, right? That's what, you have. That's what happens. So the second, third, and fourth plagues happen very naturally as a result of the first plague, okay? Uh, in the first four plagues, what you have is an ecological disaster, okay? That's what happens there. And then, what happens naturally as a result of that? You got this ecological disaster, what happens? Well, plagues five and six are what happens, okay? You have epidemics break out. Epidemics break out. You have an epidemic that destroys the livestock, and then you have an epidemic that destroys the skin of the Egyptians. Now, God does break this cycle somewhat in the next plagues uh, with the hailstorm, brings the hailstorm, and then the swarm of locusts. But even still, the point is the same. It's nature that's coming against Egypt, you see. It's nature. Hail is a part of nature. Locusts are a part of nature. Right? The whole thing is natural. It's natural. Now, if Yahweh really wanted to prove that he existed and really wanted to prove that he was infinitely powerful... Surely he could have done a better job than this, right? Like these events are almost too natural, you know? It's almost too natural. Uh, they're able to be explained away by natural causes, most of them. And so skeptics have been explaining away these events for thousands of years, including Pharaoh. Pharaoh tried to explain them away. Oh, this isn't Yahweh. This is Yahweh. These are natural events, okay? That's what Pharaoh himself said. So what's God up to here? Couldn't an all-powerful God, couldn't he have done a better job? I mean, couldn't he have just like, I don't know, like had Moses walk into Pharaoh's court and then instantly the snap of a finger just turned the whole palace upside down? And then another snap of the finger, it turns it right, right side up? Or couldn't he have turned all of Pharaoh's soldiers into frogs? I feel like that'd been better, right? 
Like just boom, all the soldiers are frogs. And you say, and you could have said, Pharaoh, if you don't let the people go, you're next. You're a frog. Right? I mean, that'd have been pretty neat. That'd have been really cool. So, why all these natural disasters that can be explained away? You know, I feel like, you know, I just feel like Yahweh could have done a better magic trick here. Yeah. Um, so, why the natural disasters? Well, the answer is this the answer is that Yahweh is not doing magic tricks. This is not a magic trick. Um, the plagues have a very specific message to them. Yahweh is trying to send a very specific message, and it's right here in the text. Okay, so he's already sent one message with them. He's already, when we, that was our first point. He's always sent, he already sent the message that, hey, all these little gods that you worship ain't gods. I'm God. Okay, so he sent that message. But he has another message, too. Another message, too. What's that message? Well, for many decades now, scholars have noted something very interesting about the Hebrew language of Exodus 5 through 10. What they've noted is that it seems to mirror the text of Genesis 1 and 2. It mirrors the way, the way that the text is laid out in Hebrew. It mirrors Genesis 1 and 2, which is pretty interesting. So what is happening in Exodus 5 through 10? Well, what's happening is a reversal of creation. That's what's happening. It's nature out of control. It's nature reverting back to pre-creation chaos. You see, what you have in Genesis 1 and 2 is this. God takes the elements of light, darkness, land, water, weather, plants, animals, and man, and he brings them all into a beautiful, harmonious, interdependent whole. Okay, so he's got all the elements. It's chaos, right? And God takes all of these chaotic elements and then fits them all together, like hand in glove, right? Fits them all together, and they work together in such beautiful unison that every element flourishes. Everything flourishes. Everything's coming up roses, right? Until what? Yeah, until sin enters the world. When sin enters the world, so does death, decay, and disorder, right? It's what you see in Exodus 5 through 10. It's what you see here. You have the elements working against one another rather than working with one another, right? The weather destroys the animals. The insects destroy the plants. Uh, and on and on and on until you get to the end of the plagues, which brings us all the way back to Genesis 1, verse 2. Brings us all the way back to Genesis 1, verse 2, which says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. Brings us all the way back to chaotic darkness. Exodus 5 through 10 is a reversal of Genesis 1 and 2. And this is Yahweh's message with the plagues. This is Yahweh's message. Yahweh is saying through the plagues, he's saying to sin against me is to unleash the natural forces of chaos. When you sin, you're not only violating me, you are violating the fabric of my creation. Sin goes against the natural order of things. 
You see, sin doesn't just have spiritual consequences. Sin has natural consequences too. And Exodus 5 through 10 is just a grand object lesson of this truth, a very grand object lesson. And you know, we kind of already know this. This is already intuitive anyway, when you think about it. You know, for example, when you commit adultery, you not only drive a wedge between you and God, no, you drive a wedge between you and your spouse, between you and your children, between you and your in-laws, etc. When you get drunk, you know, when you get drunk, you not only break down the relationship between you and God, you break down your own body, right? You poison your very own cells. That's what you're doing. When you lie, you not only sever your relationship with God, but you sever the relationship with the person you lied to, broken their trust, right? So sin causes a breakdown of the natural order. We already know this intuitively, but Yahweh decides to give us a very grand reminder (laughs) that sin causes a breakdown both spiritually and naturally. Now, these first two points, as you're probably already thinking, they're very bad news for us. (laughs) This is really bad news. Let's close in prayer. I'm just kidding. So we've got really bad news. We have Yahweh is the one and only God, right? He is the ruler of all things. Point number one. Point number two, sinning against him causes both spiritual and natural consequences. And if that's true, we're in trouble. We're in big trouble. Why? Because we cannot stop sinning. We can't stop it. We sin like crazy. We love it. We're addicted to it. I'll raise my hand right up here with you. I'll put my hand right next to yours. We're addicted to it. We love it. We want to be our own gods. We want to call the shots here. We're addicted to it. We love it. And that's a problem. Because Yahweh is the only God. And sinning against Him has major consequences. Spiritually and naturally. This is really bad news. But thankfully, ladies and gentlemen... That's not the only two things the plagues show us. Our final point this morning, point number three, the plagues show us that Yahweh is a redeemer. Yahweh is a redeemer. So if you do your homework this week and you read through the five chapters, here's what you'll notice. And here's something that scholars have pointed out. They point out that in the plagues, God seems to be pulling his punches. Seems to be pulling his punches. So if the primary purpose of the plagues is to judge Egypt, why doesn't God really drop the hammer on them? You know? Why doesn't he just, like, just bring the wrath? You know? And that's what people kind of think that happened during the plagues. You know, as as I've told you, I've had many skeptics over the years uh, actually bring up the plagues of Egypt as one of the reasons they left the faith. Okay, they said, I just can't accept a God who would bring wrath like that upon the people of Egypt. And you know what I like to say? <laughs> I say, uh, have you actually read the story? Like, I know you've seen a bunch of atheist memes on social media, 
and you, may, you probably follow some atheists on YouTube, you know, who have said this and that about the Exodus. But have you read it? Have you read about the plagues? And you know what the answer almost always is? Uh, well, you know, we went through it maybe a long time ago when I was a kid. Okay, so the answer is no. Uh, so I give them the same homework I gave you. Read them. Read them. You're claiming that God is really bringing the wrath down on Egypt, and this is a terrible thing. But actually, if you read the story, no, he's not. No, he's not. God's not dropping the hammer on them. He's pulling his punches, actually. For example, right before the plague of hail, before he brings the hail, people are like, how could God do this? How could he bring this terrible plague of hail? Well, interestingly enough, here's what God has to say. To Pharaoh, he sends a message to Pharaoh right before he brings the plague of hail. And here's what he says. I'll quote him. Yahweh says, quote, I am sending a plague of hail. So get your cattle and your farm hands out of the fields. Get them out or they're going to be hurt. End quote. Now, wait a minute. I thought Yahweh was bringing the wrath. <laughs> this mean old tyrant God. I thought he was tyrant. What's going on here? Why warn Pharaoh? I mean, why not just drop the hammer? <laughs> right? Why not just bring utter, pure destruction like the atheist memes tell us? Well, because the atheists who made the memes hadn't read the text. They've not read the text. He's not bringing utter, pure destruction because that ain't the purpose of it. It's not the purpose of the plagues. The primary purpose of the plagues is not to judge. It's to save. It's to save. Every one of the plagues have been sent to save. Not just Israel, but Egypt too. Oh, and uh, the whole planet. The whole planet. <laughs> Let me prove it to you. In uh, chapter 9, verse 15... Of Exodus, God says this to Pharaoh. God says, quote, By now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the face of the earth. But, <laughs> but, I have raised you up for this purpose, for this purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth, end quote. So what is God saying? He's saying that the story of the plagues is going into a book. It's going into a book that will be read by billions and billions of people throughout the ages. And through this story of redemption all the earth will know that Yahweh is the one God and that Yahweh is a redeemer he is a redeeming God you see something else that you'll notice if you actually read the text you'll notice in chapter 9 that Egyptians are coming to believe in Yahweh <laughs> isn't that funny Egyptians are being saved in Exodus 9. 
You see, folks, the plagues are not just saving the Israelites. They're saving the Egyptians, too. They're saving the Egyptians. God's approach to judgment is not an either-or. It's not salvation or judgment. Okay? It's not wrath or blessings. <laughs> no. No. God's approach to salvation and judgment is salvation through judgment. You see? Salvation through judgment. And this is the ultimate answer to the first point that we made earlier about religious pluralism. Christianity is radically different from all other religions. Like, radically different. And this is how. This is how. It has to do with God's judgment. He always saves through judgment. Allah, no sir. <laughs> Allah, it's either or. You're either saved or you are judged. It's that way with all other religions. But Yahweh's much, much, much different. Yahweh saves through judgment always. Always and always. And in the Bible, darkness often comes, very often comes, right before the salvation. Darkness comes right before salvation. In fact, darkness came right before your salvation and right before mine. You see, many, many years after the plagues of Egypt, darkness would cover the earth once again. Once again. Matthew chapter 27 says this. Matthew writes, From the sixth hour to the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. At the ninth hour, Jesus called out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And at that moment, the earth shook and the rocks split. Do you see what's happening? Do you see what's going on? On the cross, Jesus became Pharaoh. You see? On the cross, Jesus became the enemy of God. On the cross, all the plagues of God's judgment fell on Him. On the cross, darkness and pre-creation chaos came down on Jesus. Jesus Christ experienced the spiritual and natural disintegration of our sin in our place. His body and His soul were ripped to pieces for you and for me. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus took our place. That cross had your name on it. It had my name on it. It had Pharaoh's name on it, you see. Yahweh pulled his punches with Egypt. Why? Because he was saving them for Jesus. 
He was saving them for Jesus. Jesus bore the full wrath of God for your sins and for mine and for Egypt's and Pharaoh's. The prophet Isaiah says this. He says, quote, It was Yahweh's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. End quote. No other religion claims anything close to this. <laughs> like not remotely close. No other religion provides a substitute. Oh no. In every other religion, it's all up to you, baby. It's all on your shoulders. If you're going to get to enlightenment or you're going to get to the other side or you're going to get to whatever, <laughs> heaven, God's presence, whatever, it's all on you, baby. It's all you. Good luck with that. It's all up to your efforts and your discipline, your holiness, your righteousness. Good luck. Good luck. But not Christianity. Christianity actually lays nothing on your shoulders. <laughs> like nothing. There's nothing on your shoulders. Nothing's riding on you. Everything instead is riding on your substitute, on Jesus. You weren't righteous, but he was. You didn't die for your sins, but he died for your sins. Everything is riding on Jesus. Therefore, what does that mean? Well, it means that it doesn't matter what sins you walked in here with. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what sins you walked in here with. What, your sins of your past, your sins of your present, they're irrelevant. <laughs> they're totally irrelevant. It doesn't matter. Maybe you walked in here as an atheistic God-hater, like I used to be. It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. Jesus has made your sin and rebellion a moot point. Because everything rode on his shoulders, not yours. You're not capable, but he is. He's capable. And so though your sins will still have natural consequences, for sure. As long as you are alive, they will carry with them natural consequences, definitely. But the eternal consequences, the spiritual consequences have forever been taken away. They're done. <laughs> it's over. That's over. The spiritual consequences are over because of your substitute. Because of your substitute. He died for your sins. And he rose again. For your justification, you see. Christ has done it all. Why? Because unlike all other gods, Yahweh is Redeemer. He is. He's our Redeemer. 